0: Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. But, you know, when you, when you think about um, Father's Day and all that it, it represents, it's a day that we honor our fathers, where we stop and we honor them, and, and we should You know, you think about it, not because they're perfect, but because God says to. And what it will do is that it will cause us to inherit a blessing if we honor our fathers. There's not one father that's perfect. None of them are perfect. You know, as dads, there's lots of things that we could stop and say, well, I purpose to instill this in my kids. And maybe as you're here, you say, well, I want to instill a, a good work ethic. That's that's huge. I think that that's very honorable. Maybe somebody else, you would say, I want to instill integrity into my kids. Or maybe you're here and you say financial management. I would just want them to be a really, you know, not get in a mess. And We could just go on and on and on with the list. But the greatest legacy that we can leave our children isn't anything natural per se, although there's nothing wrong with all of those things. As a matter of fact, I kind of have some of those things where I've sought to instill. But the greatest legacy that we could ever leave our children is a life that pursues God. It is the greatest legacy, especially in the world that we live in right now. You know, we go through, and I've known the Lord for over 40 years, and we go through seasons, we go through the ups and the downs, stuff comes, stuff goes, but what it is, is the greatest legacy is that we love God, and you could see by our life that we wanted God by the decisions that we made with our life. And it's the greatest legacy. And I, what's amazing is when you talk about this legacy is it is a level playing field. It, it Nobody is better. All of us in our own spots and in our own way can stop and just say, God, I'm going to pursue you. Not perfect by all means. And I want to be clear, don't sit here and Beat yourself up and say, well, gosh, you know, I haven't really done or I have been up and down. Please understand, you can't go back. You shouldn't go back. But today is a day that we honor our dads. But then as dads, we stop and we say, gosh, maybe you're here and you say, I would have liked to give my kids this. Or I would have liked to deposit this. Or I would have liked to. The greatest legacy you can give them and model to them is a life in a heart that says, you know what? I chase God with all of my heart. I am not perfect. I make mistakes. But what I do is that I know that God is good. And when you think about, the Bible describes God as the father of all creation. It describes him as the father of humanity. It describes God as the father of spirits. All fatherhood starts with God. It all started with God. But today... As we come together, I want to, and we honor the dads as we should. Maybe you're going to go home and you got some ideas from the guys on the screen or the gals on the screen, and you're going to go home and do that to your dad. That's awesome, but do it at your own risk. How many of you know it but, what it? but what we do is we stop is I equally want to honor God as our heavenly father and honor him with our life. And And I want to read a scripture in Matthew 7, Verse 11, and it says this It says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I think it's interesting that Jesus is talking to them, and he said, You know, you fathers, you want to give good gifts, but how much more? does your heavenly Father. When the disciples were observing Jesus' prayer life and they were watching the results that he got, they went to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. Will you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, okay, I'm gonna teach you to pray, but I want you to start like this, our Father. Those are the very first two words in, in Jesus' modeling prayer is that God is a Father. He wants us to approach him as a father. He wants us to see him as a father. He wants us to relate to him as a father. 259 times in the New Testament alone, God is is referred to as father. 200, if you could figure any title, more than any other title, is God is referred to as father. Jesus not only referred to God as father, But he said this, the reason that I'm here is I came to reveal the Father. John 3, 16, and all of us, well, not all of us, but many of us maybe know that verse. Do you remember how it started? And we said, well, that's Jesus talking about why he came. It starts like this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That verse is all about Father God. It's all about him. The purpose of Jesus is because God wants us to know him in a very personal sense, in a relational sense. He wants a relationship with us and he wants us to know him as a loving father. He wants us to approach him Is that. You know, you look at how the New Testament describes our relationship with God when you go into the epistles. And I want to read in in Romans 8, Verse 15 and 16 it says this It says so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves instead you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children Notice the term God sees us as adopted Whereas a do you know that in some states adopted children have more rights than biological children God sees us as adopted children. Now we call him, instead you have received God's spirit as adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Jesus referred to God over and over and over again as Father And God said he wants us to see him as a father. You know, we could all sit here and agree that God loves Jesus. Would we all agree with that? But do you know in John 17, 23, Jesus prayed and he said, God, let them know that you love them as much as you do me. I mean, think about that statement right there. God usually gets a bad rap and the reason he gets a bad rap is because we transpose our natural father over onto our perspective of God. And you could have had a great father, but I'm here to tell you, they're not perfect. There is not one father that is perfect. There is not one father. When you think about God, he's perfect. And every natural father has weaknesses. And unless we renew our mind with what the Bible says about Father God in our life, we begin to relate and see God through the lens of how we perceive our own natural Father or our biological Father. And if your Father maybe was harsh, then the natural tendency is when we come into a relationship with God, is unless we renew that area of our life, we view God as being harsh. If you stop and you think about it, if our natural father, that maybe their words didn't mean much when they said something, then we, when we come into a relationship with God as our heavenly father, what we do is we don't think his words mean very much because that's what our expectation is of father. If performance, if, if, If you got acceptance through performance, then what happens is we come into God and we think the better I perform, the the more he loves me and the more happy. And when I'm having a bad day or a difficult day, God is distancing himself from me. If your natural father was switchy, guess what? You probably, unless you renew that area, you view God as switchy. If you stop and you look, if your natural dad was moody in one he was up, the next man he was down. You view God, if you view your natural debt is not there in time of need, then what happens is, is we look at God and we have all of these backup insurance plans because we really don't know if he's going to come through. And what we have got to realize is this, is God is saying, I am the perfect father and I realize that you were raised in a natural world. And even if you had the best father, I am way better than he is. And what I want you to do is to bring renewal into the areas of maybe your view. See, our perception gets carried over and there's no perfect fathers. I want to be really clear. So what that is, is whatever my view is of father, it hugely affects how I see God. We, as natu- we naturally transpose Unless we stop and we say, okay, God, how are you? And we delve into his word and we drill down in his word. And what I want to do is I want to give us six things that affect us knowing God as a loving father. Six things that have an effect on it. And I want us to just examine. Just stop and just examine. This is kind of just examine and say, gosh, how am I right there in regard to my view number one is this, is God's love doesn't change with my performance. It doesn't change with my performance. That is so hard on us. Some people have a works-oriented view of God that when I'm working, when I'm doing, you know, when I'm doing good or I'm feeling good, God's with me and he loves me more. But if I'm not doing good, or I've made a mistake, or I'm not feeling it, or whatever, we have a view that God's angry, that God's upset, that God's distant. I want to tell you something, that is not God. That is not God his word. And we have to stop and say, if this has been my view, then I need to get into his word and realize how he truly is and begin to challenge that view because it will affect me knowing him as a loving father over my life. You know, they sometimes people think, oh, you know, that, that, that they can increase or decrease God's love in and over their life. The Bible says nothing can separate us From the love of God. I want to read Romans 8, verse 35, and then I'll read 38 and 9. It says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Some of us right now, God is saying, Every time you go through a tough spot, you question my love. And he's saying, I want to challenge that thought right now. Because everybody goes through stuff. Stuff develops us. That's what it does. It develops us. And and that is, if there's ever a time to not question God's love, is when we're in a tough season. Because that's when we need his love, the greatest in our life. Look at verse 38 and verse 39. And I am convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2, it describes us before we knew God and our condition. And then in the last sentence in these verses, it describes God. And I want to read it. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through verse 4. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now look at this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. See, God is, and what it is, is my understanding of God's love for me must be consistent, and it must be stable. Otherwise, my my life will be unstable when I go through things. Number two is this, is God always does what's best so we can trust him. He always does what's best. You know, we don't know what's best. How many of you before have ever made a decision and you said, this is the best decision, and it just blew up? You know, what? it was just a bad decision. Oh my gosh, you dated this. This person is the one. Only to find out, oh my gosh, they are not the one. How many of you know what I'm saying? Is when you stop and you think about it, is we don't know what's best. And if I've made decisions based on what I think is best, probably I've had things just blow up in my face. We think we know what's best based on our limited perception, but God knows what's best. Every one of us and every person we read about in the Bible had seasons where they questioned God. And they said, God, why is this going on? God, why is this happening? God, why did this situation transpire? It is human to do that. I mean, and what it is, is that we can't see. All we see is directly in front of us. But when we stop and we say, God, I know that you have my best, and so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to come after you, and I'm going to pursue you in my life. Understand, He sees the outcome. How many of you like roller coasters? Anybody like roller coasters? This is what I find. How many of you like extreme roller coasters? You know, I find that I liked extreme ones more when I was younger than I do right now. And I remember about, I don't know, 15 plus years ago, a group of, a group of people got together and they said, Cedar Point has got this new roller coaster called Dragster. Anybody been on Dragster? Dragster, 120 miles an hour in four seconds, 120, pulls three G's. And I walked up and looked at it, and what the very first thing I looked at was the people getting off. How many of you are with me? Because if they can get off, then I know it's gonna turn out well it's going to turn out well. So I watched the people, and they took pictures of them, of the people getting off, and I got on because I could see the outcome of what it was going to produce. I could see it, and so I knew I wasn't going to die. How many of you are with me on that? Let me tell you, God sees your outcome in the middle of every crazy roller coaster, and he wants you to know that he's trustworthy, and he has your best at heart, and you will come out alive on the other side because he is a good God. He is a faithful God, and he wants you to just trust him and anchor on that in our lives. Amen? Amen. Number three is this, is he will always provide. (sighs) Some of us right now just need to chill out on that. God will always, it's his very nature to be a provider. You know, in the Old Testament, God would reveal himself. They didn't know him, and he would reveal himself and then he would say, now for generations to come, this is my name. My name is, he would say, my name is. Jehovah, and then the situation demanded they need peace. He would say, I am Jehovah Shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. I am your peace. Another time the Israelites they they were sick and different things were happening. And God said, I want you to know me as your healer. So I want you to call me Jehovah Rapha. The Hebrew word Rapha means the Lord healing. Another time you see he spoke to Abraham, and Abraham was in need. God said, I want you to know me as Jehovah Jireh. The word Jireh means the Lord who provides. God said, you can pass this on for generations to come, that I am the Lord who provides. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. See, God is a giver. And if we'll copy him and be a giver, he will not just supply for our needs, but he'll supply an overabundant supply. The Bible tells us this, that God's provision in my life is he provides two things in my life. What he does is he said, I will supply seed for sowing and bread for eating. Do you know that every provision that comes in my life, God wants me to see it as seed for sowing and bread for eating. If I eat my seed, he will provide, but I will always struggle and only have enough. But if I will recognize that he provides seed for sowing and bread for eating then I will always prioritize and say Lord I honor you in my giving. I recognize you as my provider and God said I will multiply your supply over and above because you're proving that I'm a priority and that my principles are a priority in your life. See the Bible says God supplies two things. Look at what it says in Luke 638, he said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over and pour into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. See, God's provision is a double-edged sword in our lives. He's a great provider, but his provision is a double-edged sword you say, what do you mean? If I'm healthy, it blesses my life. But if I'm not healthy, it messes up my life. See, if I'm not healthy, then what will happen is, is I'll begin to get my image of myself through what I have. I'll begin to do things and think that that is more important than this. See, the provision, what it is, is when you look at it, is that unhealthy, and we've all, maybe you've seen people that got an abundant supply and it just royally screwed up their life. They got maybe in drugs or got over, whatever that might be. See, God uses his provision in our life to develop us. What he can see in his provision in our life is number one, he sees our priorities. He can see it reveals what's important to me. My provision reveals what is truly important to me. You can tell. You can just look. You can see what's important. The next thing that it does is it develops self-control. How many of you know you can always get something else? You can always, the Bible says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life is self-control. And so God will bless me But then he wants me to develop self-control where I don't over leverage my life. I don't get in debt. I don't go over the top. Because what happens is, is I'm developing this fruit of self-control within my life. And so what happens is, is I recognize him as my provider. I always have seed to sow and bread to eat. I keep him and you could tell that he's a top priority by the provision within my life. It develops self-control and then what it does is it majorly affects our next season in life. See, God's provision, do you know that the next season we have, we need more provision in our life for the next season. I remember the first, when I first got married, um, we didn't have any kids till three years later and how much it took to run our household before children and after children, how many of you know what I'm saying? Was like, what in the, oh my gosh, how much are cloth diapers? You know what I'm saying? My wife's like, not, you know, not. You know, it's like, but what it was is that the Bible says that if we're faithful with God's provision in a little place, he will increase us And release us from the curse of the world and bless us with much. And that's what God does. Number four is this. Is that life's biggest game changer is knowing God and growing in my understanding of Him. Biggest game changer. It isn't your career. It isn't where you live. It's not even who you marry, although that's huge. Okay, life's biggest game changer is knowing God and growing in my understanding. This should just be a daily thing in our life. It's not if I was born with a silver spoon or a plastic spoon in my mouth. That's not the most important. God will make up for all inadequacies in my life, and we all have them. Everybody has inadequacies, and he'll make up for them. You know, one story I, or a movie that I love, I watched it a couple times and read the book before, is Harriet Tubman. Anybody ever see the movie Harriet Tubman? Oh my gosh, she couldn't read. She was in a very bad situation, but she was led by the Spirit of God and knew how to be led by God, and she freed more slaves than anybody had ever freed from slavery. And what the difference was, is everybody else thought they had to have the best tracker, the best provision, the best whatever. No, all she knew how to do was hear from God and God would direct her in what to do. Understand, all of us have inadequacies. All of us have weaknesses. And the biggest game changer in your life is not your marketing campaign. It is not your slick, polished image. It is the biggest game changer is a relationship with God. It is the biggest, and it's a growing thing in your heart and in your life. Number five is this, is trust is what makes everything life-giving. Trust I think you, when you stop and you say, well, what do you mean by trust? I can be life-giving because I trust God with my life. Everything natural around me is subject to change. I mean, when this whole corona craziness happened, how many of you know what I'm saying? It was like, weekly, everything changed. The experts had something new each week. How many of you know what I'm saying? And then they would say, last week, don't do that. This week, do this. You know what I'm saying? It's like, God, what should I do? Trust me, I got this. I got this. And you just back up and you say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. See, in life, if we don't trust God, we will distance and posture ourselves to protect ourselves from him. If we do not trust him, it, is the, it makes the difference And it causes everything to be life-giving. You know that Satan's greatest attack on your life is your trust in God. Because if he can undermine your trust in God, you will live independently and do your thing. You say, how do you know that? This is the original sin in the Garden of Eden. Satan went to Eve and said, did God really say? The reason he said it is because he's holding out on you and you don't really need him. You can do it yourself. She got, He got her and Adam to question trusting God and everything unraveled after that. Realize that trust gives us the ability to close our eyes at night and go to sleep and sleep deep when the world around us is going crazy. Trust is what gives us the ability that when we don't have the answers, when life has not gone the way I think that it should go, when I look and say, I planned for this, but this is what happened, it gives us the ability to say, you know what, God? I'm trusting you. I'm just gonna trust, and I'm not gonna flip out, freak out, or any of that, but I'm trusting And the last one is this. God created humor. I'm going to say it again. When is the last time you just had a full-fledged belly laugh? You know what I'm saying? I had one this morning. I had one this morning. I won't tell you about the whole conversation, but it was with my wife. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I was just like rolling, and then she started. I want to tell you something. God, some people are just, especially in these times right now, they're just so intense. They're just so intense. And, and what realize is, God knows how to laugh. He created humor. He created it. Lighten up. Enjoy the journey. Just, God, you've got this. Sometimes, let me, in our politically charged environment, some people have forgotten how to laugh and are just, you know, the, the, just the crazy. How about just stop and say, I just need to lighten up and enjoy the journey. Proverbs 17, says that a merry heart is like medicine. It brings healing to our lives. Psalms 2.4, the Bible says that he that sits in the heavens laughs at the plans that are being made against him. Do you know that God laughs? How many of you before have ever seen like a, an ant line and they're all following each other and you just drag your finger across and they go crazy? You know what I'm saying? That's the human race right there. Is God is up there and he's like, watch this. And they're just like going crazy. And, and, and see, realize Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us this. Yes, we're gonna have difficult times, but we're also gonna have times that we just need to laugh. And we need to be able to be light-hearted. Do you know that the word rejoice in the Bible is used 250 times? 250 times. Rejoice. What does rejoice look like? You don't know say, yeah. That's not rejoice. No, rejoice. 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 One of the fruit and the evidences of the Holy Spirit in our life, Galatians 5, and 23 tell us, is joy. Love, joy is the second one. Joy in our life. Let me tell you, if you're missing humor, if you're missing joy, God is saying you need to get closer to Him because he laughs, he's lighthearted, he's not all serious and uptight, he sees the beginning and the end. He sees everything, he has it all planned out. And I wonder today, as I share this, how many of us would stop in our life and look maybe right now and say, wow, one of those goes directly against my view of God. It is one of, or I have a view that is the opposite of what the Bible says about him. And maybe right now I need to just stop and invite the Holy Spirit in to help me to grow in this area of my life. Because maybe this is a huge missing link to my relationship with my heavenly father that I've transposed of you over onto him that he's nothing like it at all, but I've acted like he is and I won't let anything else in. And today through his word, he's turning the light on and he's saying, how about embracing me as I really am rather than a view that is not me. Let's stand to our feet if you would. And I wanna just have a moment right now and just close your eyes and maybe today, As I just shared these and we just, maybe you've had this view of God that his love is based on your performance. And today he's saying, I need you to let that go. Maybe you're here today, you just struggle to trust. Maybe you're here today, you've just been through a situation and you're like, Lord, are you really gonna provide for me? God is saying to you, I'm gonna provide two things in your life. I'm gonna provide seed for sowing and bread for eating. Do you want an overabundant supply or do you wanna just barely make it? God is a God that came and asks us to assess and evaluate and adjust our heart and say, is my understanding coming from his word or maybe I transposed a view that I need to adjust that is directly affecting Lord, today we invite your Holy Spirit to do a work in our heart. And I want you, maybe one of these, maybe more than one of these, for you to just stop between you and the Lord right now and just say, Lord, I release that in Jesus' name. Lord, I release that view. I release that image. And I invite you, take me deeper. Lord, I give you permission to drive your plow over that hard ground and to plant seeds of who you really are in my heart and in my life. Lord, show me your ways. I want to lead us all in this prayer. I want you to say this with me. Jesus, I need you. And I'm asking you, come into my life. Reveal the Father to me. I give you my heart and the rest of my life. Show me your ways. In Jesus' name.